Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Wednesday, December 14th. Have you fallen behind on listening in to the Daily Audio Torah because the rush and the busyness of life is pressing in on you from every side? We all get busy, and the enemy wants nothing more than for us to get distracted and neglect spending time with Yeshua in prayer and in His Word and in worship. Can I share a secret with you that might help? It is about establishing a secret place. Yeshua reveals this secret to us when He said in Matthew 6.6, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let me break that down for you. First, we go into our room. The King James Version says, Go into your closet. It can literally be a closet that you convert into your own secret place. It can be a corner in your bedroom with a special chair and a table where you sit. There are no limits to the creativity of what you can do to create a secret place for yourself. Next, we shut the door. We shut the door to distractions. We shut the door to tweets and texts and phone calls, TV and media, to the cell phone. We are shutting the door to the world, even if only for 20 minutes. Then we spend time with Yeshua. It's like a date night with Him. He loves it when we take special time and a special place to meet with Him. He is the lover of our soul. And in that time and that place, you can pour your heart and soul out to Him in prayer. I like to write down my prayers in a journal, and then when I am done pouring it all out, I pause, I listen, I wait upon the Lord. I wait to hear His still, small, quiet voice speaking to me, and then I write down what I hear. You can light a candle and put on some worship music and just worship Him. You can listen to and read the Word of God. The Word of God is living and powerful and is like a two-edged sword cutting between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit. Do you have a secret place where you can meet with your Master? If not, why not create a special place where you can spend time with Him, and then go there to meet with Him often? And I encourage you to listen to Daily Audio Torah each day. The plumb line of truth will keep you on track and on target. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give, pick on the Navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your support. 
Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Vayeshev, and it means, And He Settled. Genesis 38, 1-30 About this time Judah left home and moved to Adullam, where he stayed with a man named Hira. There he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. When he slept with her, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and he named the boy Ur. Then she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son, and she named him Onan. And when she gave birth to a third son, she named him Shelah. At the time of Shelah's birth, they were living at Kazib. In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, Go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. This prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this, because he was afraid Shelah would also die, like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's home. Some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hira the Adulamite went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of the sheep. Someone told Tamar, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. Tamar was aware that Sheila had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute, since she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay to have sex with me? Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. But what will you give me to guarantee that you will send the goat? she asked. What kind of guarantee do you want? he replied. She answered, Leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you are carrying. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her, and she became pregnant. Afterward, she went back home, took off her veil, and put on her widow's clothing as usual. Later, Judah asked his friend Hira the Adulamite to take the young goat to the young woman and pick up the things he had given her as his guarantee. But Hira couldn't find her. So he asked the men who lived there, Where can I find the shrine prostitute who was sitting beside the road at the entrance to Anaim? We've never had a shrine prostitute here, they replied. 
So Hira returned to Judah and told him, I couldn't find her anywhere, and the men of the village claim they've never had a shrine prostitute there. Then let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. I sent the young goat as we agreed, but you couldn't find her. We'd be the laughingstock of the village if we went back again to look for her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a prostitute, and now, because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Judah immediately recognized them, and and he said, She is more righteous than I am, because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son Shelah. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. When the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was carrying twins. While she was in labor, one of the babies reached out with his hand. The midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing this one came out first. But then he pulled his hand back, and out came his brother. What? the midwife exclaimed. How did you break out first? So he was named Perez. Then the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born, and he was named Zara. Jonah 1, 1 to four eleven. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurried and hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. 
O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone." Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes, Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive, if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? 
And then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Revelation 5, 1-4 Then I, John, saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the twenty-four elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered but it was now standing between the throne and the four living elders and among the twenty-four elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold Spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy! is the Lamb who has slaughtered, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb.
Psalm 133, 1-3 How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, for harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's beard, that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Proverbs 29:26 and 27 Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice comes from the Lord. The righteous despise the unjust, the wicked despise the godly. I want to speak to you today from the book of Jonah, and it's a short little book, but it's got a powerful message. Jonah is a prophet, and God has called him to bring a message of repentance to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the ancient nation known as Assyria, and Nineveh then was the seat of great wickedness and idolatry and evil. And so God is calling Jonah to go and speak a message of repentance. Now remember, the whole purpose of a judgment from God is to bring people to repentance. He may start with a small judgment, and if that doesn't get a person's attention or a nation's attention, then the judgment gets increasingly more severe. So God wants to warn Nineveh that he's going to destroy the city in 40 days, But if they repent, there could be a different outcome. So the question that we can look at is, does God change his mind? And does prayer make a difference? Does preaching the word make a difference in the outcome of what's going to happen to a people? And this book of Jonah really gets into that question. So initially, Jonah runs away. And he goes out onto a uh, a boat, and then the Lord sends a huge storm to the boat. Um, and the, the sailors are crying out, Lord, please protect us and show us what to do. And, and Jonah says, you better throw me overboard. I'm the reason why this storm came. And so they do. They throw him overboard. He's swallowed by a giant fish. And he's in the belly of the fish for three days. He cries out to God. He himself repents in that dark belly of the fish. And then the fish spits him up and he he lands on the shore. Now, Yeshua, in the Gospels, in the Gospels, he explains something about this sign of Jonah. Let me just share that with you. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, Yeshua replies, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he repeats this again in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then Yeshua left them and went away. So what is this sign that he's talking about? What is the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah is that he was dead. Well, you... 
Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, and then he was spit up, and he was put back onto the shore, and he came back basically back to life. And Yeshua, similarly, was in the heart of the earth and was dead for those three days and in the heart of the earth. And then on the third day, he was resurrected from the dead. So that's the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah gets spit up on the shore, and then the Lord calls him once again. I want you to go and preach to Nineveh. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. So this is a large city. It takes three days to get all the way across the city. And um, he tells the people that 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And the people of Nineveh believed God's message from the greatest to the least. And they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. So, because they began to repent and to wear garments of mourning, and they prayed earnestly to God, and that they decided to turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence, who can tell, they thought, perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So that's the issue here, is will God change his mind if he sees that they genuinely repent? And not just go through a sorrow and a grieving, but but change their ways, change their behavior. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. And he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened to do. So there is the answer to the question, does God change his mind? Yes. And it was in response to the prayers. It was in response to the repentance that he changed his mind and he held back the judgment. But Jonah becomes offended. Why is Jonah offended? So he's a prophet. And you have to be very, very careful when you walk in the prophetic mantle or the prophetic gifts and the calling. Because if you give some kind of a a word that uh, this particular thing is going to happen and then it doesn't come to pass, then you're branded as a false prophet. Oh, well, you said that this hurricane was going to be uh, lose all of its steam and not hit the shores of Florida, but it, it came and it hit us real hard. You're a false prophet. So there's an element of pride there and ego there. And so chapter 4, verse 1, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. He's angry and he's offended because why? Because he complained, didn't I say? Before I left home, that you would do this? That's why I ran away. I knew that you're a merciful God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So it was his ego on the line. He made a prediction that 40 days from now, Nineveh was going to be destroyed, and he wanted to see that prediction come to pass that he's a true prophet. Well, it didn't happen because the people repented. Well, that was a much better outcome. But it's not that uh, Jonah hated the people and wanted to, you know, had an evil intention in his heart to see them all be destroyed. He just, it was his ego, his pride. He had made a prophetic prediction and now the prediction did not come to pass. And so, his name as a prophet was on the line, and so that's why he was offended. 
And yet God wants to teach Jonah something. That God is full of mercy and compassion. And he can change his mind. We have the authority to go into heavenly places, to beseech the Lord, to go to the very throne of God, to go to the war room or to the healing room or wherever he takes us, and to intercede on behalf of a city or a nation, a people or your family members. We have that authority and our prayers can change the course of events as we see here in this whole story in the book of Jonah. So Jonah just kind of needs to get over himself and let it all go. Now, I want to touch on one more thing before we close, and that is from Revelation chapter 5. And again, it has to do with prayer. And in, in this chapter, they're asking the question, the angel asks, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And John the Revelator begins to weep bitterly because there was no one worthy to open it. And then he sees a lamb that looks as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing before the throne. This is Yeshua, the Lamb of God. And the four living elders and among the 24 elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb, because this Lamb, who is Yeshua, he is worthy to open the seals on the scroll. Now, each one of those seals leads us into a seal judgment. And we'll begin to read about those seal judgments starting in the next chapter, chapter 6 of Revelation. But coming back to the uh, Lamb who's opening up the scroll now, each one had a harp. The 24 elders, they fall down before the Lamb. And these 24 elders, each one had a harp, and they held golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So there's a picture there for you, that when you go to your secret place, and that could be in your car on your commute to work, that could be in the bathroom when you lock the door and close the door, that could be in a little corner in your bedroom or a little closet somewhere, Um, wherever your secret place is, when you pray and it's from your heart and it's fervent, it goes up like invisible incense before the Lord. It rises up into the throne room and it fills up these golden bowls. And these 24 elders are holding these golden bowls with the prayers of the saints. The incense is prayer. Prayer is incense. Incense is prayer. So when you are praying, it is like a a fragrant aroma before the Lord, whether it's a prayer of confession, a prayer of repentance and brokenness, a prayer of praise, of worship, a prayer of petition, beseeching him, interceding for a situation or a person or a nation. It's as incense before the Lord, and it goes up into the secret place in heaven. So your prayers are powerful. So may we not neglect the ministry of prayer. And now, please enjoy this beautiful worship song, Mountain of the Lord, sung by Joshua Aaron and Aaron Schust. Come, let us go up. Come, let us go up. 
can approach His holy place Only the one with clean hands and a pure heart
Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>